like Pastor Eric mentioned at the start of this series, we are taking a look at this parable as one parable with three parts. It's not just the parable of the lost son, of the prodigal son. It is a parable with three parts, and there are correlations and similarities between them. Now, parable is a weird word that we don't use a whole lot in this day and age, but if you don't know what it is, it's a way of telling stories that are, that's meant to engage you. What you're supposed to do, and Jesus used parables frequently in his teaching for this reason, is that you're supposed to take it and find your place in it. What, what place or what person are you most like in the parable? So we're supposed to ask ourselves, where am I in this story? And it's oftentimes more than one character or one place. Now, if you remember, uh, we've talked about this for three weeks now. If you remember the story, and last week, Pastor Eric unpacked the, the, the younger son. So, but to start this off, th- all of these, par- the, these stories of this parable are Jesus responding to the Pharisees who are questioning him for who he has made an invitation to, to a feast. The, the tax collectors and the sinners. If you're who you say you are, those aren't the people that should be at your table, Jesus. That's what the Pharisees are saying. And in Jesus' response is through the storytelling. And basically what he's saying is, let me tell you what God is like. So we looked at the first two stories, which was a lost sheep, which was one of a hundred sheep. The shepherd goes out, finds, he leaves the other 99 behind to go and find the one lost sheep. Then Then we hear the story of the woman who has lost one of 10 coins. This would have been her dowry for her wedding. This would be the equivalent of her losing her wedding ring at a time when she didn't have probably, possibly, much else. So it's very significant, this lost coin. So in both both of those stories, there's a searcher and a finder. And there's a celebration when the lost has been found. We talked about that the very first week, that that celebration, that feast happens at the table. And we had communion together on the, on the first week. Last week, we started the third story of the parable of, of the lost brother, which is one of two brothers. There's a, see- a searcher and a finder who is the father. And again, there's a celebration and a feast. Now, I'm going to tell you that I'm like Pastor Eric, and math is not my first language. I'm not going to lie. But I do know this. Half of a pizza is worth way more to me than a hundredth or a tenth of a pizza. So I can tell just in my non-math brain that that we are getting more significant about the thing that's lost. Jesus has got a path and a plan and don't think that that's not intentional. So even though there are similarities, there's also that he's diving deeper of what what is important to him. So again, there's a searcher and a finder. We talked about that. If you remember the, the, the story from last week, the younger son basically humiliates his father publicly by asking for his inheritance early. And by early, that means before the father is dead. So what he's essentially said publicly in front of this community is, I wish you were dead. Maybe he doesn't say those words, but him asking for the father's, for his part of the inheritance early is what that means. I wish you were dead. I want my money now. I don't care about living here with you. I just want to go and live my own life. What happens is, obviously, that's a huge insult. The son goes away. He squanders all of his money. He ends up hungry, and he remembers that at his father's land, even the hired hands are eating better than he currently is. 
So we talked about last week how he's motivated by hunger, and he comes back with this plan of convincing the father, just, I'll be one of your hired hands. I just want to eat. I want to eat better than I have been. But what happens is the searcher, the finder, the father, sees him before he even approaches, and the father goes out to him. The father welcomes him back into the house, into the family, into their lives. He fully embraces him. He gives him one of the best robes. He gives him a a family ring and new sandals for his feet. The father even has the fatted calf that they've been saving killed for the celebration, for the feast. This is a significant celebration. Now, in this third story, there's a plot twist. Dun, dun, dun. There's a second brother. There's the older brother. That's what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today. So the scripture uh, about the older son picks up in in Luke 15, uh, verses 25, what Sarah just read. I want to read it again to you. Now his older son was in the field, coming in from the field. He approached the house and heard the music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son's back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, After gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. So the elder son has heard how the younger son is being celebrated after returning home, and frankly, big bro is not having it. He's not happy about it. He's the one that has stayed and done all of the right things. He's obeyed his father. He's worked so hard for the family. He didn't humiliate his father by asking for his inheritance early. And now the father wants to celebrate the younger son. Now, again, get this scene in your head. This, even this, is happening in front of the whole community. Because there's a celebration that everyone is invited to. And the son is refusing to go in and celebrate. This would have been the equivalent of a shouting match at a wedding, if you can imagine that. Everyone is there. Yeah, yeah, that makes everybody a little uncomfortable, right? Especially between a father and son. In that culture, honestly, the father would have had just as much right to scold and chastise and, frankly, thrash the older son as he had to the younger son for doing what he did. He had the same right. But this, the older son is saying, he, listen to his language. He's saying, this son of yours. He's not even saying, my brother. It indicates that there's this separation there. He's not even willing to acknowledge him as his brother. And let me point this out in the text as well. Earlier in the text, it doesn't say anything about him spending, the younger son, spending his money on prostitutes. 
It's not even what the servant tells the older brother when he comes, when, he, when he's talking about your brother is back. Frankly, this is just big brother being mean. He's just mad. And it's, the, the language isn't in. It says he spent his money on extravagant living. That does not have to mean prostitutes. But big brother is trying to build a case against younger brother. He's just being mean. It shows where the older son is. Now the elder son goes on in the story to point out how he has earned his position and his right to be the one that is celebrated. He's done all of the right things. He's the one that stayed. He's the one that worked his father's land. He's the one that obeyed. I've earned this celebration and you are giving it to this younger son, your younger son. But here's the thing. The older son is thinking in terms of merit and what he's earned by staying, not in terms of his father's grace and love. He's essentially saying, why does he get more than me when I've worked so much harder? Now, this language might be familiar to you or sound a little familiar because there's a similar story with, with different characters in Matthew 20, the story of the vineyard workers. Jesus tells this story that of a landowner who hires vineyard workers in the morning. He agrees to pay them a certain wage. He says, this is what I'll pay you for, the good, for this day's work. They agree, they work. And as the day goes on, the landowner starts hiring more and more people up until even right before finishing time, the end of the day. Now, when he goes to pay all of the workers, he pays them all the same wage. The ones who clocked in at seven o'clock in the morning are getting the same pay as the ones who clocked in at four, and they're not happy about it. That isn't fair. That doesn't seem fair. I was here all day. I worked all day. And they are complaining to the landowner. They're challenging him. And he's basically saying, did I pay you what I said I would pay you for the work that you agreed to do? Yes, I did. And he goes on to say this in verse 15, don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? The older son in this story is resentful that the father is generous to the younger son because he's decided the younger son isn't deserving of this welcome, of this celebration. So if parables are a thing that we're intended to engage with and ask ourselves, where are we? Then that's what I'm going to pose to you. Where are you in this story? Maybe last week's message really hit home with you and you find yourself in the younger son who, who leaves and strays and goes away even if you haven't left Tallahassee, makes all of the wrong choices before even thinking about doing a right, having a right choice, and then finally comes home. But maybe some of you are connecting more with the older son's reactions and his actions. For me... I can tell you that I have been both. I don't have a grand story of my straying, but I certainly, I certainly didn't humiliate my family publicly, but I did. I did disrespect my parents with some of my choices, with some of my thoughts. I definitely disrespected God with some of those choices. And then I came home after he came out to get me. And certainly, I have been, ironically, after having that experience, that I would have the, 
even the thought that I could be in a position of saying someone else doesn't deserve, but I absolutely have. I absolutely have said, why are they getting the same treatment, the same reward as me? That doesn't seem fair. But the truth is, there's essentially no difference between the younger son who is trying to think of the ways that he could possibly earn this celebration and earn being welcomed back by his father and the older son who's listing off all of the ways that he thinks he already has earned this reward. There's no difference between the actions of the two sons. The father's message to the younger son says this, you can't work for this. You are my son. And he essentially gives the same message to the older son. You haven't been working for this. You are with me always. All I have is yours. You are my son. Neither son truly gets that the father's love can't be earned. Neither son gets that they were both lost in their own selfishness. And the only way out of that is through grace. Grace isn't something that you can earn. Maybe you've heard it described that grace is the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited. Unearned. And it's that way for a reason. Isn't it actually pretty cool that it can't be earned? Because here's what I would say. If grace is something that you could actually earn, how much would it really be worth? If it was in direct proportion to my efforts, if your grace, Jackie, was based on your efforts, if my grace was based on my efforts, would either of us really be celebrating? No. The thing we have to think about the celebration, this banquet, it's not about the son coming home. It's about the father who welcomed him back. The banquet is the celebration of the father's compassion and his generosity, how he makes that available to all of us. It's the father's nature to celebrate everyone who is found, everyone. The father came out. He went out after both sons. He went out across the fields when he saw the younger son coming, and he went outside of his own celebration to talk to and get the older son. Last week, um, Pastor Eric showed us a, a painting, a Rembrandt painting. The name of this painting is called The Return of the Prodigal Son. I spent a lot of time with this painting, not, not the real version, but with this picture and some findings and some, some scholars' takes on this painting. I want you to focus on this picture for a moment. Last week, we paid really close attention to the father and the embrace of the son, the humility of the son, the light that's on them, the warmth that comes from the painting in that embrace, the mantle of the embrace of the father, how it's just warm and welcoming. But now I want you to turn your attention to the right side and look at the older son. He is clearly 
skeptical. You can read that from the picture. He's not like the father. But he is every bit a part of this story. Here's the thing I want you to notice in this, in this art piece. We have a, a tendency to think that the central piece of this story is about the younger son, but I want you to notice that is not the center of this painting. The older brother's story, his depiction is every, every bit of a part of this painting. It's because his story is critical also. It's important to note that he's standing to the side, that he's watching the embrace. He's not in it, and he's not in the warmth of the light. In this parable, Jesus is revealing the similarities between that elder son and the Pharisees that he's speaking to. When he says, let me tell you what God is like, he says, God is the one who goes out to the ones that are lost. The younger sons as well as the older sons. God is the one who decides who gets to be a part of God's people, of his kingdom. He alone gets to decide that. And let me tell you something. You can read it a lot of places in Scripture. Those people look an awful lot like tax collectors and sinners. Those are the people that Jesus is spending his time with. That's his ministry. That's his mission field. Jesus isn't only saying that this is what God is like. He is saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, he's saying to the church people, the religious leaders, he's saying to us, come in to the party. This invitation is for you. You have a place here. I want to celebrate you. Jesus is saying, there's a feast going on right now, and broken people at the table actually means that God is doing good things. It doesn't mean that something's wrong. There's not a flaw in the plan because the tax collectors are at the table. That is the plan. And I know it's counterintuitive for some of us. But if we want the tax collectors and the sinners to hear about God, wouldn't we rather it be sitting at Jesus' table? In response to the Pharisees, Jesus confronts them not only with the return of the prodigal son, but also with the resentful older son who thinks he's doing all of the right things. Jesus is telling them to choose how they would respond to God's love for these sinners. Are they willing to join him at the table? Are they willing to join them at the table? So maybe you haven't been the, the younger son, and maybe you've been the one that's done all of the right things like the older brother, but I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are you doing all of those right things with resentment? Are you resentful about your obedience? Are you just doing those right things so that you can earn God's love? Have you twisted it in your head in such a way that if I do all of these right things, then God will love me more? Or I will deserve more? Here's a hard question. Do you have some imaginary guest list of who you think should be at the feast? Are there people that you think don't belong there? 
Are there people that you have disqualified and discounted? Because it appears to you that their sin is just too great. They aren't as deserving. They shouldn't be here with me. Let me tell you something. That's wrong. It's a sin. And it's not just the big, scary, spectacular sins that need to be forgiven. Did that hurt a little bit? It did me. It's every sin, all sin, of all of the people. When I've thought of this story, Jackson, will you bring up that picture again? In the past, I sometimes think in pictures, and I have thought of this story before as the father, the older son, and the younger son who, just, who is trying to come back home. He's trying to, to come back into this, this family unit. But the story is actually the father, the younger son, and every bit as much the older son. And the father goes out after both of them because he wants both of them at the table, both of them at the celebration. He's welcoming back both sons, not just the one who left home, not just the one who humiliated him by asking for his inheritance and said, basically, I wish you were dead. The other son matters just as much. There are plenty of ifs in the way that the world loves. If you do this, then I will love you. If you don't do this, I won't. If you are like me, then I will love you. If you are not like me in any way, I will not love you. But that's not how God loves. And it's not how he tells us to love either. Both of the sons needed healing and forgiveness. Both of them needed to come home. Both of them needed the embrace of the Father, the one who forgives. But the thing that has struck me in preparing for today and in looking at that painting and rereading the parable is that maybe the hardest conversion is of the older son. We see the resolution of the younger son. The younger son comes home and he gets celebrated. And isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Yes, indeed it is. But the, the text doesn't tell us if the, young, if the older son does go into the party. Because the point of the story is Jesus wants us to find out where we are. And are we still standing outside looking in? I want to ask you this. What do you think can do more damage? A lust for a freedom you think you don't have, like the younger son? Or a resentment of those who you think have it, like the older son. There is so much resentment among the righteous, those of us who think we are just and good. There's so much judgment and prejudice against the ones who call themselves the saints. This story is not a story about a bad son versus a good son. Only the father is good. That's the only good of the story. He's the one that loves both sons. He's the one that goes out to get both sons. 
God doesn't love the younger son because his sin was more obvious. He doesn't love him more than the older son. He's not comparing the two. So why would we? So we've been looking at this question through the series, what is God like? We said that Jesus is responding to the Pharisees and basically saying, let me tell you what God is like. He is the searcher and the finder of lost people. He is the one who goes out. He is the one who is always there and always ready to forgive, and that is completely independent of our response. The father wants the older son, who is a lot of times us, to come home just as much as he wants the younger son to come home, which is also a lot of times us. He doesn't prefer the one who left the house and pursued his wild escapades and then repents and returns. He doesn't disregard the son who never left, but still put distance between them because he spent his time trying to earn his father's love, his father's acceptance, something that had already freely been given to him. I've wrestled all week with my part in this story. And I think it's easier for me to acknowledge the season of my life when I was the younger son, when I left and made the obvious wrong choices. And I think that that might be easier for me to acknowledge because, frankly, the world embraced me then. The world embraced those choices because they were worldly choices. It's been a lot harder for me to wrestle with the fact that even still, at this age, this part of my journey, that there would be anyone on some list that I said wasn't welcome. I want you to think hard and deeply about that for yourself. Because the truth is, what we are learning in this story, what we're going to hear about more next week with Pastor Eric, is that whether you are the younger son or the older son, the journey is to be more like the father. 